Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We'll start with verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken them unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended the sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You may be seated. Well, this morning, as you have gathered, I plan to share the concluding message on the series of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I thank you for your patience as we waited through the 25 sermons in this series. When I started the series, I really had no idea how long it would go and where all it would take us. I did find this study to be inspiring and challenging, and hopefully you have as well. At the same time, in looking back over these sermons, sometimes I can't help but to feel like I failed. I failed to effectively portray the depth and the fullness and the significance of this most wonderful of sermons, the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus Christ himself. There's so much contained in this Sermon on the Mount, and I certainly did not reach its depths. And I feel sometimes like I, I've barely scratched the surface. So I guess I'll leave that as a challenge to you to pick up where I'm leaving off and to continue to meditate on the passage, to explore what Jesus was teaching. And not only that, but to live by these principles, as we see in our passage here for today. So today's text that John just read here is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus did so frequently and so effectively, he used a story to drive home a point. Jesus closed with this sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, with a story intended to call his hearers to action. And the last sermon we had here on the previous verses, 21 to 23, we saw that, that God is looking for a relationship, not just performance, not just a profession, but a relationship. But now, Jesus says, as you have that relationship, what are you going to do about it? He's calling us to action. He's calling us to obedience. He's calling us to a life of putting into practice the things that he has been teaching us throughout this sermon. So Jesus closes calling his followers to action, to put the ball in their court, as it were. It's like, now you've heard these things, what are you going to do about it? And he's call, calling us not only to a response, but to a favorable response, a response of obedience. This story vividly illustrates that the lives of Jesus' listeners depend on their response and the response they choose. So 
Join me here this morning as we look at this remarkable story told by Jesus. It's known by some as the story of the wise man and the foolish man. Others may refer to it as the story of the two foundations. The title I'm giving to the sermon is Storm Warning. Storms will come. Let's begin with an overview of the story. Uh, you may refer to this as a parable. We probably don't often think of this as one of Jesus' parables being a part of his sermon, but it is a story used to illustrate something, uh, so some people do refer to it as a parable. And I'd just like to give a, an overview before we dive into some of the, uh, the teachings and lessons here. Let's look at the similarities that we see between these two men in this passage. First of all, there were two men. Both of these men recognized a need. And in this case, they needed a house, something that everyone needs. Everyone needs a house. These men needed a house, obviously. So they recognized this need. Both men responded to the need. So they determined that they have a need for a house, so they're going to build a house. They responded by building a house. And I believe that both men rejoiced in their achievements. Obviously, according to this account, the houses were completed. They achieved, they accomplished their goal, they built their house, and I suppose that they rejoiced in that accomplishment. We know the feeling. We have a large project. We finish that project, and we're glad that the project is finished. We're glad in what we accomplished. And I suppose that both of these houses, new houses, probably looked nice, perhaps impressive. Uh, people may have looked at them, good job, you have a nice house here. Uh, maybe they were the same, maybe they looked exactly the same, maybe they did not. Some people speculate that the house that was built on the sand may have actually looked like the nicer house. It probably went up quicker because there was not much, as much work involved in the beginning. So he probably completed it quicker. So he looked like he was really um, efficient in his building. And perhaps with the money that he saved from going down to the rock and building on the rock, uh, he may have been able to build a bigger house. Perhaps it was the more impressive house. We don't really know. But I do believe that both men were rejoicing in what they had achieved. And then also eventually... Both men received a storm, or they encountered a storm. A storm came. Perhaps it was the same storm that hit both houses. Perhaps it was the same day. Uh, we don't have all those details, and they really don't matter. But we do notice these similarities. Two men, two houses. Two houses that were completed. However, there is also a difference. And we know what that difference is. Notice that there were numerous similarities, but we're pointing out only one difference. The one house was built on a rock, and the other was built on sand. Now, usually when we read a story, and especially these stories in the Bible that we're very familiar with, we have somewhat of a mental image of how this may have looked. And it would be interesting if we could project here different mental images that you have of these two houses. I wonder how you picture them. Do you picture 
these two houses in two entirely different settings like this. One of them was somewhere on an outstanding rock, and the other one was built on shifting sand in an entirely different location. Is that how you picture the story? Or do you picture it, both houses were built in the same setting, with the only difference being that the one man dug down until he got to the rock, and the other man did not dig as deep. Well, we really don't know what the setting was. We do know that one was on rock, one was on sand. That is the one difference that matters. I think it's very possible that these two houses were built in the same community. I think it's very possible that at a casual glance, you may not have noticed a difference between the two of them. The one may have looked just as sturdy as the other. I think it's very possible that the two men who built these two houses may have attended the same church, or I guess we could say synagogue in that day. Perhaps they sat in the same bench, side by side. They may have been two men who went to the same Bible study group. They may have had the same friends. Their children may have attended the same school. And I think it's very possible that the one made just as good of an initial impression as what the other did. But like I said, there was one striking difference. One house was on the sand, the other was on the rock. What does it mean to build on the sand? Well, we know that sand is shifting. Sand changes. Perhaps some of you have been to some places where there were large sand dunes or several parks in, in uh, the United States that have places like that. And that landscape is continually shifting as this sand drifts into one form, from one form into another. So if we are building our houses on something that shifts, we are building on the sand. Some of the things that shift today, public opinion, it changes. It changes from one time to another. And if we base our lives on public opinion, we are building our lives on the sand. Fads change. Uh, sometimes when I hear people discussing rooms in their houses and painting a room and they say, well, this color is in, this color is not. I'm not sure what it takes for a color to be in. I mean, I think all the colors are in the color wheel. I think they've all existed, and yet some are in and some are not. Now, I don't care what color you paint your room, and I don't care if you paint it an in color. But if we base our lives on what is in, we're going to find that our lives are shifting. And it's okay to use some of that. I don't have a problem with that. But let's not build our lives on these fads. If we build our lives on financial security, that can change. That is shifting. If we build our lives on our health, that can change, as some of you very well know. That is a shifting sand. The political world is extremely shifting. It goes all over the place. 
if we base our lives on that, we're going to face disappointment. And in the last sermon, the previous verses that I preached, the last sermon I preached on this passage, if our life is based only on what we profess or only on what we perform without that relationship with God, those are all shifting sands that are going to leave our house in tatters if that's what we are based on. So that is a little bit of the similarities and the difference. And I'd also like to look briefly in this overview at the message of this story. First of all, this message is simple. Jesus' stories were so simple. He used such common things that everybody could relate with. A sower and seed, the birds of the air, sheep, trees. He used simple things, and that's what he did in this account. He used simple things. Houses. Who doesn't know what a house is? A rock, sand, rain, wind. This story is simple. Construction, storms, common objects, common events, things that we are very familiar with. So the message is simple, but at the same time, the message is profound. Children can hear this story in Sunday school, and they can understand it. They can understand the difference of building a house on the sand or on the rock. And yet it still speaks to us as adults. And in the last weeks, as I was meditating on these verses, and especially just this week, I just found myself challenged, and I found myself struggling to capture it all. And even this morning, I feel like there, there's, there's more here than what I'm getting. I'm just not sure I'm getting it all. The message is profound. The message is also graphic. Jesus uses a sharp contrast, sand and a rock. Very different. Solid, unmovable, shifting, fluid. It's a graphic difference, striking in its contrast. The message is graphic because it has a devastating conclusion, catastrophic. In the end, one man had a house, one man did not. He had nothing. Very graphic. It was not a matter of, in the end, the one man had a nice house, and the other man had a house that was a little bit deformed, or a solid house and a shifting house that had a few cracks in the drywall. It wasn't a matter of a good house or a house that needed some repairs. It was a house and no house. Very graphic. The message is clear. Our decisions today affect our future and our fate. We need to realize that as we look at this conclusion. Jesus was not giving a crash course on house construction. That wasn't his point. This was not a builder's show. The houses that Jesus was talking about represent our lives, your life, and my life. They represent our future, and these houses represent our eternal safety. In the end, you have it or you don't. The message is clear, pure and simple. Your house, your life will stand or it will fall. 
the message is clear. Let's move on now and look at some applications to this story. The first application I'd like to make is that storms will come in our lives. We will face storms. Both of these men faced storms. In 2005, there was a family who bought a new house and moved into it in the New Orleans area. And shortly after they moved into their house, their neighbors came over to visit them and to welcome them to the community, and they brought them a gift, a welcome gift. And it wasn't a traditional welcome gift like a plate of cookies or a warm meal. In fact, the people who received the gift thought it was somewhat strange. The neighbors gave them an axe as a gift. Well, the people that received it, like I said, thought it was rather strange, and living in a suburban community, they really didn't see a lot of use for it. So this axe ended up in their attic, took it up to their attic to store it there. Only a couple months later, after they moved into their house, Hurricane Katrina hit in all its vengeance. And as the waters rose and surrounded that house, the family found themselves with no way to escape. The waters came up into the house. The family retreated into the attic. The waters followed them there and found them even in the attic. And in desperation, this man looked around, and what did he see but that axe? And he took that axe and chopped a hole in the roof of the house. The family climbed out onto the roof where emergency personnel rescued them and carried them to safety. The axe saved their lives when the storm came. Storms will come. Recently, my sister's been in a situation where she needed to find a place to live, and we were exploring a lot of options. There was one place that looked quite appealing. It had a lot of things that were of interest. The locality was good. The price was in the range, but there was one problem. This house was built right on the bank of a creek, and it was given a flood factor, and the flood factor for that house was nine out of 10. And basically what that means, a flood factor is a prediction of a 30-year period. And basically what that means in a 30-year period, it was almost 100% chance that that house was going to experience significant flooding. Do you know that you have a storm factor for your life? Do you know what it is? That storm factor is 10 out of 10. Storms are going to come. We will face storms. Note in this passage that the storm came to both the wise man and the foolish man. That makes no difference. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. That's not going to protect you from the storms of life. Storms will come. The disciples of Jesus were not exempt from storms. They faced storms. The early Christians were not exempt from storms. Think of the early missionaries. Think of Paul and Silas. Uh, they faced physical storms on the sea. They faced storms in life, imprisonment, beatings, trials. Jesus, Jesus himself faced storms, physical storms. But also think of his moments there in the Garden of Gethsemane, probably the biggest storm that anybody on this earth 
ever faced. As he dealt with that turmoil that was upon him. And the question was, would his life endure that storm? And praise the Lord, it did. So the storms come both to the wise and to the foolish. The difference is the wise are prepared, the foolish are not. Now I know that many of us here, most of us here, perhaps we could even say all of us here, have lived very easy lives in comparison to a lot of people. Oh, we've experienced some disturbances, but we have not experienced a lot of severe storms. Most of us don't know what it is to experience war or famine or persecution. Most of us do not know what economic hardship really feels like. Well, there may be a few who have experienced some. We don't know what it is to have our houses destroyed by bombs and our cities blown up by missile attacks. We don't know what it's like to have our young men forced to join the military or to suffer hardship as one who follows the teachings of Jesus and refuses conscientiously to be involved in the war effort. We don't even know what it's like to not be able to find a job or to earn an income or to buy groceries. We don't know what it's like to see our children crying of hunger and to have to put them to bed with empty stomachs. That's something we know nothing of. We don't know what it's like to have armed guerrillas come storming through the doors of the church and shooting or carrying away all the men and boys. Most of us don't even know what it's like to be ridiculed because of what we believe. And the fact that we have lived such protected lives does something to us. It fosters within us a spirit of complacency and carelessness, just like that foolish man had. When we don't see storms brewing on the horizon, we tend to think that storms are not going to come. And we tend not to prepare for them. And we grow careless and unprepared. Now, I imagine that when the wise men and the foolish men built their houses, the sun was shining. Perhaps it was during the dry season. Perhaps that area had not experienced flooding for years. And I can just imagine the foolish man saying, we don't have such storms here. There's no need to work so hard for a deep foundation. My project is proceeding just nicely, and it will be just fine. Thank you. Jesus had one word to describe that man. Foolish. He had grown complacent in his setting. All of us are building our lives. And for the most part, the sun has been shining. Things have been going pretty well. We have some cloudy days and a few storms here and there, some small storms, but we really aren't concerned about enduring the big storms because we haven't been experiencing them. Maybe we don't think much about whether our life will pass the final test. Maybe we look at the present and we say, all is well. Don't worry. Be happy. And if that's what we say, 
Jesus has one word to describe our approach. Foolish. Well, you know what happened in this account, in this illustration? The storm came. And it may have been a storm like no other storm that ever hit that area before. I don't know. But it came. It hit with a vengeance. The winds blew. The rain poured down. The floods came. Maybe it was a Category 5 hurricane. And the house fell flat. Why? Because the man who built that house had grown careless and complacent, and he was unprepared. Now, Jesus did not tell us if the foolish man survived the calamity or not. Perhaps you never even really thought about that, if he survived or not. Or maybe you just assumed. If you assumed, I wonder what you assumed. Do you assume that he probably survived? Is that what you kind of assume? Or do you think that he probably didn't? Maybe you never thought about it. I imagine him surviving. And I imagine him dealing with the loss and the regret. I imagine him wishing that he had done things differently. I imagine him thinking, oh, I wish I had built my house differently. I wish I had a solid foundation. If only I had known what was to come. If only I had done it differently. That's what I imagine. Now, I told you that the storm factor for our lives is 10 out of 10. Storms will come. We know that. We know we will come to the end of our life here on earth, one way or another. We don't know how. We don't know when. But the time will come when our lives are nearly over and we are face, staring in the face the end of our lives. And when that time comes, probably most of us will find ourselves looking back. What will be on your mind at that point? Will you look back with regret? Will you say, I wish I had done it differently when the storm comes? Let's try to put that in perspective a little bit. We don't know when the storms will come. And especially those of us have not yet, who have not yet reached retirement age, we tend to think it's, it's a long way off. You know, We don't need to worry about that too much. But that may or may not be the case. For every one of us, the storm could hit this year or this month or this week. Suppose that tomorrow you would be diagnosed with a fatal disease and given only a few weeks life expectancy. If that would be the case, how would you evaluate your life up to this point? Would you feel like there are things that you failed in? Things that you wish you would have done differently? Things that you wanted to do and never got done because, well, you just didn't have time? We'll do it later. If that is the case, now is the time to do something about it. We better make them a priority now. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Wilfred Grenfell. Wilfred, Wilfred Grenfell was a missionary doctor 
who served in Labrador in the early 1900s, over 100 years ago. Labrador is on the east coast of Canada. It's in the far north. And he was serving there as a missionary doctor, a medical doctor and missionary. And uh, the story that I'm going to just summarize briefly here to you, uh, you can read. It's called Adrift on an Ice Pan. I think it's in public domain. You can find it pretty easily. But there was a day when there was an emergency quite some distance from where he was living in another, another village, and someone needed emergency surgery. So Wilfred left to um, respond to that need. And he was traveling by dog sled and dog, dog team, and he came to a point in his journey where there was a big bay in off the Atlantic Ocean, which was frozen over, and it was late winter, moving towards springtime, and he had a choice to make. Either he could go around the bay, which would have been a much more difficult journey and a lot longer, or he could go straight across the bay on the ice. And he assessed the situation, he concluded the ice was safe, and he headed out across the bay to save time. When he was in the middle of the bay, a big wind came up, and the ice softening up in the spring, it started breaking up that ice and just blowing it out to ocean. And he found himself on a, a small portion of ice being blown out to sea with no one knew where he was. And the story gives a lot more details, but in that situation, he concluded that for him, this was the end. He saw no possibility of escape or survival. He did survive. I won't give those details. But what I want to point out, during those hours a day and a night, part of another day that he spent there, he had some time to reflect on his life. And this is one of the statements he made. He said, I learned many things floating there on that ice pan. Chiefly, that the one cause for regret when we look back on a life which appears to be closed forever will be the fact that we have wasted its opportunities. He was looking back and thinking there were so many things that he wished he could have done. And that causes me to ask myself, what opportunities am I wasting now that I may regret later? It causes me to ask, what opportunities are you wasting that you may regret? You see, storms will come. What will, what will our perspective be when they hit? And that depends a lot on how we live our lives today. Storms will come. Moving on, a good foundation is critical. Foundations are important. Life is not entirely a matter of avoiding storms. Some we can avoid, some we cannot. Life is a matter of being prepared when they come. Some of you have been dealing with storms. Some of you are dealing with storms. I acknowledge that. But we will be facing storms as we look ahead. There may be storms of discouragement. Storms of feeling like I failed. There may be storms of temptation that nearly overwhelm us that, that we don't know how to deal with. There may be storms of emotional turmoil, emotional difficulty. There can be storms of grief. 
when we lose a loved one. Storms of physical illness. Sometimes there are storms of misunderstandings between people, broken relationships, and sometimes these storms just weigh us down. They may be feeling unbearable, but we can prepare for them by having a good foundation. Recently, I received an advertisement in the mail. Some of you probably did as well. An advertisement for a local builder's show. And I looked over that advertisement briefly just to see what it was there. Obviously, the point of the advertisement was to get people's attention and to convince them to attend the show, which I did not. But the advertisement advertised kitchens, bathrooms, doors, windows, roofing, siding, gutters, decks, landscaping, and pavers with not one word about foundations. It was a builder's show, but it did not mention foundations. And that's so descriptive of our lives. We, we tend to be so occupied with making a good impression, with, with focusing on the things that people see, the siding, the doors, the windows of our lives. And we focus on, on keeping up with the expectations around us. Someone else did some new landscaping, so I want to do some landscaping. Someone else did this with their life, so I want to do this with my life. And we neglect that which is critical. We need to start with the foundation. I remember when I was young, a young boy, sometimes I would button up my shirt, and when I got to the last button, there was no hole left to put it in. I started out wrong, and the whole thing ended up wrong. And the only way to correct it was to go back to the beginning and start over. And I remember my parents telling me, start at the bottom so you can see what you're doing. They said, if you start at the bottom and see what you're doing, you'll end up right. But for some reason, I preferred starting at the top, and I frequently did not end up right. I got it all wrong. We need to start at the bottom. We need to start with a foundation. The foundation should come before anything else in our lives. If we try to build a marriage, if we try to build a business, if we try to build relationships and friendships without that foundation, we're going to struggle. Now, if we find ourselves in a relationship without having built a foundation, we can always go back. We can dig down. We can do it later on, but it's much more difficult. Our foundation is Jesus Christ, the only foundation that will endure. 1 Corinthians 3.11, I think this was the favorite verse of Menno Simons. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.6, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Peter was referring back to a prophecy from the Old Testament. The prophecy said, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that... Eveth on him shall not be confounded. God provided that foundation for us in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And the promise that is given to us is if we build on that foundation, we will not be confounded. And of course, in our text here for today, the foundation is obedience and following what Jesus has taught us to do. 
a foundation built on anything other than total obedience to Jesus Christ is a foundation built in sand, on the sand. Another observation or application to this story, in the end, there are only two groups of people, only two. You're familiar with the story of the Titanic. When the ship Titanic left port and headed across the Atlantic Ocean, there were more than 2,000 people on that ship. There were all kinds of people. There were first-class passengers, there were second-class passengers, and there were third-class passengers. The first-class passengers included businessmen and politicians. It included military officers and bankers and other such people. Then there were second-class. Maybe that's where the tourists and middle-class people were. And the third class was mostly immigrants, people who were moving to America. Most of these people had almost nothing, very poor. On the Titanic, like I said, many groups of people, there were crew, crew members, there were passengers, there were rich, there were poor, there were married, there were single, there were men, there were women, there were adults, and there were children. But when it was all said and done, no matter their class or occupation or nationality, there were only two groups of people, the saved and the lost. Nothing else mattered. And in this passage, in the end, there were only two groups of people. Two people. One had a house. One did not. One's life was preserved the other, the house representative of his life, destroyed. So many of Jesus' teachings, there were only two categories. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. There was the broad way and the narrow way. There was no middle, middle road. There was good fruit and there was evil fruit. Nothing in between. A wise man and a foolish man. And as we continue to look at Jesus' teachings, two categories. There were the wise virgins and the foolish virgins no so-so virgins. There were the sheep and the goats. And even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, hanging between two people, two thieves, one was saved and one was lost. At that moment, Jesus divided the whole world into two, the saved and the lost. And when you come to the end of the life, you will be in one of those two categories. The fate of those who do not obey Christ is certain. It is not negotiable. There's no bargaining. I'd like you to note verse 26 on our passage. Jesus does not say, some of those who hear my sayings and doeth them not. He does not say, most of those who hear these things and do not do them. He does not say the other people who hear these things and do not do them. He says, every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not is like a foolish man. Every one. We have a choice. There's only two groups. Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 
The verse says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that thou and thy seed may live. Only two groups of people, saved or lost. What is the challenge of the story? Jesus was ending the Sermon on the Mount, and he ended it with a call to action. He said, in essence, you have heard my teachings. You have heard what I had to say. Now, the ball is in your court. You can take it, or you can leave it. The real test Will you do what I have taught you? Jesus gave a call to action. I wish to conclude this series this morning with a call to action. And even more than that, a call to commitment. Because if we don't commit to something, it really means very little. So I'm going to ask you this morning to make a commitment. And it may not be a difficult commitment, but it might lead to some difficult things. And here is the, the simple commitment I would like to ask of you this morning. Like I said, I feel like there's so much more in this Sermon on the Mount that remains for us to discover. What I am going to ask you to do is to commit on your own to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, starting this week. Now, you may take as long as you want to do it, but start this week and read the entire Sermon on the Mount, continually asking yourself the question, what does God want me to do about this? You see, this concluding challenge of Jesus is not about hearing, it's about doing. So the challenge I'm going to give to you is to read the Beatitudes and as you read over them, what does God want me to do with my attitudes? And as you read about being the salt of the earth, you ask yourself, what does God want me to do about being the salt of the earth? As you read about being the light of the world, what does God want me to do about being the light of the world? And as you read about being angry with your brother, Ask yourself, what does God want me to do about my relationships with other people? As you read about dealing with lust, what does God want me to do with my struggles with lust? Continuing through the passage, love for enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despise you. What does God want me to do about that? And then as you read in chapter 6 about your good deeds, alms deeds, prayer, fasting, what does God want me to do about this? How does God want me to do what I do as unto him and not to impress people around me? And as you continue reading through chapter 6, it talks about treasures and possessions, and values. 
what does God want me to do with my values and my attitudes towards possessions and towards trusting in him? And as you continue reading through chapter 7, each section to ask yourself, what is God asking me to do about this? That is the challenge that Jesus is giving. It's about doing. And that is the challenge that I want to ask you to commit to this morning. It may take more than a week to get through it. You may just only do a couple verses a day. That's okay. But start this week and don't stop till you're finished. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you are willing to commit to doing that. And I don't want you to raise your hand because you think I want you to raise your hand. You raise your hand only if you think God wants you to raise your hand. And I don't want you to raise your hand because people next to you raise your hand. I don't want you to raise your hand because people next to you aren't raising their hands and you think somebody should raise their hand. This is not about numbers. It's about commitment. And if this challenge helps one person to be the person that God wants them to be, it will be worth it. So think about it. Is this something that God wants you to do? To commit to reading this sermon, asking the question, what does God want me to do? And if you're willing to make that commitment, just raise your hand. And God bless you as you read and as you ask yourself that question. I'm not quite finished here yet. I'm going to ask something else of you. Now, this morning we talked about dealing with storms. And when we face a storm, maybe we will look back with regrets and say, I wish I had done it differently, or I wish I had known. We talked about lost opportunities. In a few minutes, you will be given an opportunity to share a testimony. And I know there are many people here who have experienced more of life than what I have, more of life than what a lot of us have. And they have a perspective that those of us who are younger do not yet have. So as we have our testimony time this morning, if you're over the age of, I'll say 70, but it's not, you can say 60 or whatever you have, as you look back in your life, if you see things that you wish you would have done differently, I'd like to invite you to share with us so that we can learn from that. It's a matter of the older teaching the younger. And if you look back in your life and see things that were a blessing to you that helped to establish a foundation that helped you to endure the storms, I'd like you to share that with us as well. And I welcome input from both sides of the aisle. If there's something looking back that you're saying now, if I'd have the chance to do over again, I would do this differently. Maybe you can help somebody by sharing that or by things that you're glad you've done. And I'm not excluding anyone from the testimony time. It's, it's open to the younger as well. Maybe you have something that you see this morning that you would like to change that would be an encouragement to someone else. I'd like to close with this verse from Peter, 1 Peter 2 which I mentioned earlier in the sermon. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, this was God's promise from the Old Testament, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, 
God prepared a foundation, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. God provided the foundation that we need. The rock is there. Now it's up to us to build on that rock. And if we build on that rock, we will not be confounded. The choice is yours. Let's kneel for prayer.